We're going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from Numbers chapter 27, 12 through 23. The title of the message is God's Selection of a Leader of Standard. God's Selection of a Leader of Standard. And this is, again, Numbers. If you're here for the first time tonight, we are going through the book of Numbers uh, each um, Wednesday night on Sunday. Uh, we have now started a series through the book of Philippians. So um, in Numbers chapter 27, 12 to 23, the word of our Lord. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into Mount uh, Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my commandment to hollow me at the waters uh, before their eyes. Uh, these are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, and he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Heavenly Father, we, Lord God, on this night ask you to open up our hearts and minds to your word. Lord, we need ears to hear. We need eyes to see. Lord, your word is spiritually discerned and it takes, Lord God, a heart that has the spirit to discern your word. And we pray, Lord God, give us understanding tonight. Let us walk out of here different than we came in. Lord God, change us. Lord God, there's a word here for each and every one of us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak that word into our hearts and we would receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, again, I, I title the message, this is, a, a, you know, a standard, a, a standard of leadership. A standard is a level of quality. Uh, God seeks leaders of high quality to lead his people. Uh, in you're familiar with uh, our special forces, and it could be Delta Force with the U.S. Army or the Navy SEALs. I'll talk to you about uh, the Navy SEALs. With the Navy SEALs, they put these young men through uh, just the most trying and difficult, you know, physical and mental challenges, and uh, the last week is called Hell Week. And um, if you were on the outside looking in at what is going on with this uh, process, you would think that they were being trained to be tough. But it is not a training uh, to determine physical or mental toughness. What it is, it is a test. 
It is a, a test of mental and physical toughness. It is a test to see how much they can endure, how much pain they can endure, and keep on going. So in a sense, it's a weeding out process to find the men who are mentally and physically tough enough to be able to finish uh, the selection. At any time during uh, the selection process, if a, a candidate decides to quit, there is a bell in uh, the middle of the courtyard that they would go and ring. If they ring the bell, they are then removed from the process by going and ringing the bell. I just want to say this to you. That is true of most things in life. I think you, you, you can look at life, and I don't know, you know how you view life. People will say, you know, life is a bowl of cherries. Uh, I haven't found that to be true, though there are moments of cherries. But life is a test. Really, that is a, that is a, a biblical principle. Life is a test. We are tested every day. Our faith is tested. And we are in a selection process. Those of you here today, those of you watching, wherever you may be, you are in a selection process. If, if you don't believe that, think of Jesus when he taught on the parable of the sower, which is the foundational parable of which all the other parables are interpreted from. But the parable of the sower says that, right, there are four who start. How many finish? One. One out of four. Three are eliminated. Three, three don't finish and essentially pass the test. So if a hundred start, 25, okay, complete selection. Another 75. And I'll tell you again, I've, I've been doing this now for 40 years in this church and in other churches. I've only pastored uh, as a senior pastor of this church. But I served as an evangelist traveling around and preaching in different churches, and I can tell you, I have seen the selection process before my eyes. And those who basically seem to be going on and passing the test, and those who fail the test and ring the bell. So when we come to looking at Joshua, and I'll talk of Caleb as well, in Exodus chapter 13, Moses selected how many men to go in and spy out the land. He selected 12 leaders of each of the tribes of Israel to go in and to spy out the land. They were leaders. How many of them finished? Two of them. Joshua and Caleb. The other ten rang the bell. They rang the bell. How many men I've seen who have been called or claim that they were called to be pastors through the years? When I, when I began in the ministry, there were 30 candidates who I was in an educational program who wanted to become pastors. Three of them, three of them went on to successfully pastor churches. 27 of them rang the bell. 
Some of them rang it very quickly. As soon as they were faced with the demands of study, of preparation, of Bible college, of seminary, they rang the bell. Others completed their education. They did go out and pastor churches for very short times, and then they quit. They went back into a secular you know, form of work. But again, it's, it's, it is a selection process. Some people will complete it. Some people, again, will ring the bell. So I, I want to look at this passage here from that perf- uh, perspective of, again, of this very high standard that God calls leaders to. First thing I want you to notice, a higher standard. And if you look at at Numbers chapter 27, verse 12 through 14, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mount, Abram, and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Now I want you to, I want you to notice, I put in red, you also shall be gathered to your people. That is a, a nice term for when a believer dies they will be gathered. He will be gathered to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and to Judah. He will be gathered to the, to the believers, his, his fathers in the Lord. It's interesting that Solomon, and I was reading this this morning, you see, Abraham was gathered to his people. And you see, Jacob was gathered to his people. It's interesting that when Solomon died, it said that he died, and it didn't say he was gathered to his people. And that's a question. Was Solomon saved at the end of his life? He ended up right marrying, what was it, 600 wives and 300 concubines, and these were women. These, these were, they were treaty marriages to the daughters of kings of other nations. But they led him astray. And, and let me tell you just how far astray he went he worshipped Molech. That's, they sacrificed their children on the altars of Molech. He built an altar to Molech on the Mount of Olives. And if you ever stopped and, and looked at that, he worshipped Chemosh and Ashtoreth. That's just worship of immorality, sexual immorality. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to end. Some people say, well, Ecclesiastes shows that he came back. I don't know. But all I know, what, what hit me this morning when I was reading that, it did not say that he was gathered to his people. And, and that was, uh, you know, and by the way, it, again, there, it's painful to see this man who was given the greatest amount of wisdom, whether he's in heaven or not, to just do what he did when God was speaking to him in, in such an incredible way. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's tragic. So, Moses, you're going to be gathered to your people, which are not allowed to enter the promised land. Go up, go up on the mountain, Mount uh, Abram, see the, you know, see the land, 
but you're not allowed to enter it. Why? In, in, again, what we've looked at as we have been going through the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus and Numbers, first Moses was basically commanded by the Lord to bring water from the rock. And the first time, right, and this is in Exodus, he said, I want you to strike the rock. Strike the rock and water will come for it. Moses struck the rock and water came from it. The second time, and we see this again in Numbers chapter 19, God said to Moses, now I want you to go and I want you to speak to the rock and bring water from it. People are thirsty. People are complaining. Now go, demonstrate my great power. Speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He took the staff and he struck the rock twice. You say, well, that's really kind of harsh on the part of God. I mean, you know, the first time he struck the rock. Now, I just want you to, to realize when, when we have been going through, who is the rock? The rock is a foreshadow of Yeshua. The rock is a foreshadow of Jesus, right? We see that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says that, that the rock was Jesus. That's a foreshadow of Jesus. Jesus was struck the first time on the cross. He is never to be struck again. He is an atoning sacrifice that has been made for the sins of the world, right? Once and for all. When the Roman Catholic Church has a mass, that is a re-sacrifice of Jesus. I don't know if you know that. It is, the, the Mass is a re-sacrificial okay, ceremony of Jesus in, in opposition to the very Word of God. He was struck once, never to be struck again. Now, we as believers, if we have put our faith in Him, right? we put our faith that He was struck for us. right? He, he died on the cross for us. He is our atoning sacrifice that gives us complete forgiveness for our sins. Now we don't go and strike the rock. We just have to ask. Right? We, we ask. We can come to Him by faith with boldness to His very throne and ask Him for the things that we need. Moses, again, he's in on this with God. He's privy. He's, he's briefed. He, he knows you know, about some of these things. I wouldn't say with the amount of knowledge that we have. That you know, we, we look back with... Uh, you know, backside, he, he is looking forward with foresight. But he strikes the rock. And again, people would say, well, just is it God's harsh that he would keep him from entering into the promised land just because he struck the rock? He holds leaders to a higher standard. And maybe if this was somebody who was not in, in leadership, he, he may not have... have you know, held him to this high standard, but he holds leaders to a very high standard. And that is, that, that is, it is simple. You see it again in, in the lives of Abraham. You can see it with Isaac and Jacob and Solomon, Manasseh, the kings of Israel, and even in the life of Moses. I just want to say this to you. There is a ripple effect. I say this all the time. There's, there's a ripple effect. This, this, sin of Moses had a ripple effect upon his life and upon the children of Israel. God said, you know what, you set a terrible example by not obeying me before all the children of Israel. All the children of Israel saw this. And there is a, a ripple effect in our lives. And what, what you see here, Moses is forgiven. Moses is forgiven. Moses is going to heaven. Okay, He's going to paradise. 
but the consequences of his sin have an effect on his life here on earth. And again, that, that is a ripple effect. Everything we do has a ripple effect. You know, if you, you, you have children, you're going to have grandchildren, your life that you live before them, the words you speak, the actions, right, your behaviors, your habits, will have a ripple effect on the generations that will follow you. The, the, your life on the people around you, the people you work with, your neighbors. Again, the things you do, the things you say, have a ripple effect. There's an effect of influence. And of course, leaders have a greater level of influence than people who are not in leadership. And again, there is that ripple effect that affects them. So, I bring you back to again, and I'm going to read from Genesis 15, 15 about Abraham. It says, Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. Again, you shall be gathered to your people. Moses would be gathered, right, as Abraham was gathered, uh, to be with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the, the other fathers. Now I want to show you just something here, just to help you clarify some things. An unbeliever, okay, an unbeliever in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, when they die, okay, they go, soul goes and, and you, you know, you can... It's called, it can be called Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades in the Greek, sometimes translated hell. An unbeliever, when they die, they, they go, okay, to, they go to hell. When the great white throne judgment occurs, Revelation 20, the last, it's the last paragraph in Revelation chapter 20, the unbelievers are judged by God Okay, this is not a judgment of I'm going to send some of you to heaven and some of you to, you know, to the lake of fire. All the unbelievers are judged. They're judged according to their works, which is a frightening thing because they are not judged according to grace. People say, I, th I thought we were, you know, we were not judged according to works. Well, the unbelievers are judged according to their works. And none of them are saved because they have not ever measured up to the righteous standard of God that we see in Jesus Christ. So therefore, they are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. For a believer, Old Testament, okay, let me start with the Old Testament. A believer dies in the Old Testament, where do they go? Right, their soul goes, right, it's called, what Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say heaven. And when Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he used the word for paradise as Abraham's bosom. That is a, a, a temporary holding cell for the Old Testament believers. That when they would die in a paradise, that would be a wonderful place. But it's not heaven. Why were they not escorted into heaven? Because Jesus had to die first and had to be raised from the dead. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, you get into Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 8. You see this in Psalm 68. Old Testament believer souls are taken to heaven. Jesus led them in a train. He went down to paradise. He said, come on. Moses, Abraham, David, right? 
Elijah, you're all coming with me and all the others. Right? The widow of Zarephath. You know, you're coming with me. We're all going to heaven together. Noah. And he leads them to heaven. That's where they are today. Now, a New Testament believer dies. Where does their soul go? They go to heaven. Right? They, they, paradise is, 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 is basically, it's a dimension... Well, I, taught on the, I taught on the ten dimensions that are revealed in Scripture, and it's interesting how you know, science says that there's ten dimensions. Well, I believe paradise is a dimension that is empty. It's vacant. Nobody in paradise. So a New Testament believer dies, their soul goes to heaven. Now, their soul is in heaven, their body is in the grave. The rapture, okay, occurs, the resurrection of the saints... So all those who have died, right, in Christ, their bodies are resurrected. Those who are alive on earth, they are just transformed. Um, reptismos, okay, they're suddenly just transformed. Their bodies are glorified without ever having to die. And their bodies meet their souls in the air. So an entire generation of people, Christian people, will never see death, just like, you know, Elijah was, you know, transformed, and Enoch, Elijah and Enoch. So their soul is united uh, to their resurrected and glorified bodies. You can read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, there, there are some really good theologians, and there's, there's some variances on what I did. This is how, really, I have, this, this is how I have come to see it. Let me just, I want to say this to you about I think many of you would like to think that as a pastor, as your pastor, that I preach the word purely to you. I preach the word as I understand it. There's a, we are interpreters. And that goes for everyone who preaches the word. We, 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 I strive to be a, a sound, pure interpreter of the word. I spent... I spent the seven hours today on not this Sunday sermon, but next Wednesday sermon and next Sunday sermon. That was just today. I want to, I want to be as true and as pure as I can in being able to present the word to you, but I am an interpreter. Do you understand that? So people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm preaching the word purely to you. Nobody ever, and, and those who, who say that, I mean, they're just prideful and arrogant. We're, we're interpreters. So when I, I look at the scriptures, this is an interpretation of what I believe the scripture says and how it, it works. Now again, there are some theologians, there are some uh, slight, var slight variances to what I have shared with you and um, I, I really hold to this position. So Moses again, very high standard, you did not obey me, you're going to go, right, you're going to go to paradise, you're going to go to Abraham's bosom. You're going to go to heaven, you know, when the resurrection happens, but you will not enter the promised land. And again, there are those consequences for his sin. Number two, number two, the request for a man of high standard. So in verse 15 through 17, and Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. 
So essentially what he's saying here, someone who will lead them as a good shepherd. He will, he will guide them in, he will guide them out, he will lead them in military victory. He will watch over them, he will care for them, a, a shepherd. I want to just show you a picture again, Moses praying for a godly successor. Four keys of a shepherd. A shepherd guides. He leads them to green pastures. He guides them to still waters. He protects them. His rod and his staff, he protects them. He protects them from right the wolves. He protects them from false teachers, false doctrines. He protects them. He heals by anointing their head with oil. The oil is a symbol of what? The Spirit. We don't heal anybody. The Holy Spirit. But He brings healing on to them. You know, I just want to say this to you about healing. I was praising the Lord yesterday morning. And I'm a, there's a challenge we're facing right now in praying. Praying for someone who is very precious to us in our life and important who needs a healing. And I was just thanking the Lord for the healings that I have watched him do. And this was just in my family. The healings of, you know, of my grandson, the healings of my son, the healings of my wife, the healings of my daughter. And we're going through, I'm just going, all these people that I have seen healed, my father, my mother, through, I mean, some serious illnesses. Sometimes just divinely healed. Nathaniel was divinely healed. Doctors didn't do anything. And that cyst in his brain disappeared and they couldn't find it. They said there should be a sack there and there was no sack there. So no medical attention, no medicine. Some of the others, there was the use of, you know, of the doctor's you know, care and expertise. But I just, was, I just was thanking the Lord because God heals. Just as Jesus healed 2,000 years ago, I believe we can come to him in faith and experience healings from, from him. So, again, he protects us, right, uh, essentially um, with his rod and his staff, but he also brings healing to us. He feeds us. The shepherd feeds the flock through the word of God. And, again, I, I, I touched on healing. But that's a, a picture. Moses is praying for a godly shepherd like himself. A successor, right? This is, you know, this is his prayer. A man of high standard who will lead the people of Israel in and, and lead them out. I want to just say this to you. I'm getting old. And I don't know long, how much long I'll be here. I'm not, I don't have a plan, I don't have an exit plan or anything. But I just want to, I want to say, I've been doing, you know, pastoring for 40 years. And you should be praying for the successor of this church as I am. Because I don't want to hand this church off to a dingbat. I don't want to hand this church off to some you know, egomaniac who will destroy the church. So you should be praying for my successor who will come in after, you know, after. And look, what does it say? It says in the scriptures, the, the age right now, the average, you know, the, a person lives to 70 years old. The average age of a man in America is 74 years old. 
So, you know what, it's not, it's, you know, it's great that my dad lived to be 94, my mom's 96, who knows? And with this crazy world that we live in, who knows? So, you should be praying, and you should be praying right now, let me tell you, some of our leaders are getting old, I keep saying this, right? We, we've got some young leaders, but we've got some old leaders, and we need to start to be praying as a church for that torch to be passed on. There's some wonderful young leaders in this church that we are watching right now. You're being watched. We're watching you carefully. That you are going to be the elders and the deacons of the future of this church. But we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our successors just like Moses prayed for his successor. Lord, raise up a man who will lead Israel with integrity, with compassion, and be a great shepherd to them. Okay, number three. Joshua, the man of standard from start to finish. Here's his selection. Matthew chapter 27, 18 through 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you. I know what you're going to notice. Take him with you. Because he was with Moses all the time. He had Moses' back. He was Moses' bodyguard. He was Moses' assistant. A man in whom is the Spirit. He is a a man who has the Spirit of God upon him. And he says, And lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. Inaugurate, right? He's going to be proclaimed as the successor of Moses before all the people. And he says, and you shall give him, notice this, some. (laughs) Moses had a lot. I mean, you know, the two two great leaders in, you know, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, Moses and David, the greatest prophet Elijah, they had a tremendous anointing by God. So Joshua doesn't get the full anointing, he gets some. I'll tell you though, when you got that much, you'll take some. (laughs) some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest. Now watch this. Who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim, and his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, and all the congregation. He will have a priest next to him. Who was Moses' priest next to him? Aaron. Aaron's dad. So now Eleazar is the priest who will essentially be inquiring of the Lord for Joshua. He didn't leave him there alone. Now I want you to see something here. There's, you know, there's a picture of the, the New Testament priest. And he uses this term, he shall inquire by Urim. Does anybody know what that is? So... In the Old Testament, okay, when they had to make a decision, and he only uses the word Urim here, he doesn't use the word Thummim, because it, it was the, the Urim and the Thummim. And so, look at this, it's up this white stone, black stone. They had to make a decision, they had to make a judgment. So they would take the stones and put them in a bag, and then the priest would pray, and then he would reach in the bag and pull out the stone. 
If it was the Urim, that was essentially blessing. If it was the Thummim, it was a curse. And that's how they made decisions. Some people, when people who are scholars, who are not Christian scholars, historical scholars look at this, they say it was divination. It was basically the occult. I don't believe it was divination. I believe this is how God was basically guiding Israel through this. Now I want to show you, come to the New Testament with me, to Acts chapter 1. The 120 are meeting in the upper room. They've got to select an apostle to replace Judas. Watch what they do here. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place and they cast their lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. They cast lots. They took a white stone, they took a black stone. Okay? It might have been a brown stone. And they put them into a bag. And when they pulled it out, it fell on Matthias. Why don't we do this anymore? Why don't we do this anymore? This is the end of it. You never see it mentioned again. Anywhere. Anywhere in the book of Acts. Anywhere in the epistles. Anywhere in the book of the Revelation. Why don't we do this anymore? What happened a few days later? The Holy Spirit was given. We are now led by the Spirit. And if the leaders of the church are in tune with the Spirit, they're humble, they're filled with the Spirit, and they're seeking the Spirit on major decisions, the Holy Spirit will guide them. We're not, we're not engaging in this anymore. And that was the end of it. That's the end of it. Isn't that interesting? Let me come back. Let me come back to Joshua, right? He's a, a, a man of standard who started strong and he finished strong. I wanted to show you. Joshua started strong. We go back to the book of Numbers. They go in, they spy out the land. The ten spies who are cowards, men without faith, they're saying, we can't go in there. There are giants there. We'll never be able to conquer the land. I just want you to see here in verse 6 through 9 of chapter 14. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land, and if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. He started so well. Right? He started well. He started strong. You know, some people, they start real strong, but they don't finish strong. And then I want to see how he finished. So, Joshua finished strong. And in his, in his final address, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 15, notice here what he says, Now therefore, feel the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know that passage. He died at 110 years old. He started strong, 
and he finished strong. John the Baptist. John started strong. He finished strong. Peter. He didn't start so strong. <laughs> we don't pick on Peter. We all love Peter. But Peter finished strong. You know, Peter, tradition says, he went to Rome. And they went to crucify him. He said, I am not worthy to be crucified up right as my Lord. He was crucified upside down. Paul. Paul started, he started strong. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Paul finished strong. Paul said, right, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The same can be said of Joshua, right? Joshua started strong. Joshua finished strong. And he was strong in between. I want to tell you a story. Remember Dr. Dobson? Dr. Dobson is now gotten old. He's passed on a lot of the ministry to Tony Perkins, some of the others. And um, I actually heard this through a man who, who knows Dr. Dobson and was out. Dr. Dobson selected a pastor to head up his organization. And um, it was a really prestigious, high calling to be chosen. Uh, the man had built a church of about 10,000. I'm not going to mention his name. And um, he ended up taking the position. And a short time later, it was found that he was having a sexual relations with his masseuse, who was a man, and he was removed. Um, and again, I'm not, he, apparently he's been restored. He's not back in ministry. I don't believe he can come back in ministry and as a pastor. But he has been restored, and uh, he's back with his wife and the father of his, his children. But Dr. Dobson was absolutely broken. Imagine appointing somebody like that to this national ministry. And he was heartbroken. And I, I, I didn't hear him do this, but I was told this, that he came on his radio program that Monday morning and with a brokenness and tears and, you know, his voice cracking, he, you know, talked about what had happened and you know, that they were dealing with it and there was church discipline and, you know, godly discipline being done. But he said, he said, I will finish strong. I will finish strong. And I think that is such an important message. You know what? It's one thing to start. This man started strong, but he didn't finish strong. I believe he, he if he truly repented, he'll go to heaven. But he didn't finish strong. Joshua started strong and he finished strong. I want to finish strong. I've had, a, I've had a very strong start. I've had a really nice run. And um, I want to finish strong. Last thing here, the inauguration of a man of standard. And again, verse 22 and 23. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. He was introduced to the nation of Israel as the successor of Moses. You know, in Psalm chapter 18, verse 25 through 27, in the New Living Translation, it says, To the faithful you show yourself faithful. I think that is true of Joshua. Joshua was faithful to the Lord, and the Lord showed himself faithful to Joshua. To those with integrity you show integrity. 
again, I believe true of Joshua, to the pure you show yourself pure, it says, but to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. And I think it's again, that, that is such a true statement. He was faithful to the Lord, and the Lord was faithful to him. And I think the same can be said to Paul, the same could be said of, you know, of Peter, the same could be said of, of John. So here's a, just a, a wrap-up and our takeaways. I think you know, just a couple of great lessons here. One is learn the lesson from Moses that our sins, right, though they can be covered by the blood of the Lord and we can be forgiven and have the assurance of eternal life, there are consequences to our sins. And again, that ripple effect that goes out that affect our children, our grandchildren, if we are in any sort of, of role of influence, the things we say, the things we do, have an effect on people and will have an effect on generations to come. Second takeaway, Moses prayed to God for a leader. And we need to be praying for the future leaders of Living Word Community Church. When you're, when you're praying on your own, when you're here in groups and you're praying, be praying. Who, who is going to be my successor? Who are going to be the future elders and deacons and ministry leaders of Living Word Community Church? So I think that's, a, that's an important thing to be interested in. I don't want to see this church fall apart, which, you know, which happens. I mean, how many churches, when a new pastor has come in, the church just, the church just falls apart? I want to see this church go on. I want to see the next pastor come on, take this church to another level. Finish strong. You're running the race. Finish strong. Don't ring the bell. I've seen many ring the bell. Finish strong and don't ring the bell. Amen? Let's pray together. I invite the worship team to come up. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for what we see in Moses, for what we see in Joshua. And I thank you for this godly man, Joshua, Lord God. You held him to a high standard, Lord God, and he lived out that standard from the beginning to the end. Lord God, let us take that lesson to heart. Let us learn that lesson. Even when they threatened to stone him, even when the pressure was on, Lord God, he did not ring the bell. Give us strength, Lord God, to resist the temptations of the devil, to be able to walk with you and glorify you. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen. You can